The year is 1971. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Marvelous Year, a podcast and reading club where we are covering every story in Marvel Comics from its origin to today. Every essential story, that is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, geez, <laughs> don't sign me up for that. I'm Dave, the quote-unquote comic book expert, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com, and alongside Zach, the greasy stilt that makes my Marvelous Year go, <laughs> we are going to be covering the comics today of 1971, uh, part one. So, if you've been playing along at home, you know the comics we're going to be talking about. If you haven't, you can find all the reading lists and whatnot via uh, a million different avenues, but my recommendation would be go to MyMarvelousYear.com or go on over to Patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear, and you can see everything that we are going to be reading and talking about today, or you can just listen to us as we do it. They've got the issues in the show notes as well. Uh, A little bonus for July as well. This is our first July podcast and we wanted to do a little uh, something yep. extra zach do you want to talk about that yeah sure we just we have a good amount of ratings and reviews on itunes but those really help us out um to kind of spread the word about the show uh, as well as just getting new patrons helps us build up the show and add new shows new content etc so um for the month of july we're looking for we're looking to hit a goal of 25 new reviews new patrons or upgrading patrons on Patreon and uh, reviews on iTunes. I don't know if I made that clear. Um, if we hit that goal of 25, Dave and I are going to put out a podcast covering one of the worst Marvel comics of all time. And I think Dave has a pretty good list of these. We're going to put put it up to uh, a patron poll. We're going to probably, I don't know, choose what, four or five different of the worst comics. And then we'll do a little bonus pod covering a terrible Marvel comic. Yeah, we'll let you decide what what horrible torture thing we yeah. actually yeah. read and discuss. Um, again, this is only if we hit uh, the goals that Zach described of increasing reviews or patrons. I gotta say, I am personally hoping we do not. I do not want to read <laughs> a comic Dazzler. that I have. Selected I'm excited. I want to read Dazzler because I know how much you hate it. I mean, we're probably just once we get to the Marvel original graphic novel stage in the 1980s. Um, it is not irrelevant to to Marvel continuity at the time, although would that it were. Wasn't um, it one of okay. the like bottom five comics of your like list of five hundred comics? Like it was in the the very bottom five ever. Yeah, I had it. So I have a list called the best comics of all time. Um, it's it's over five hundred comics now, um, and I've started cutting it off at at five hundred. But anyway, um, it's either second to last or third to last. Uh, wanted is my least favorite comic of all time. Wanted is like staying there no matter what, right? That's going to be your honorary worst comic of all time. Yeah, it would be tough. It would be genuinely tough <laughs> to, <laughs> to beat out Wanted for that spot. Uh, Dazzler, the graphic novel, though, I actually, I went into it with like pretty open expectations, honestly. But anyway, this isn't a Dazzler pod. But help us hit that goal and it might be. 
we're talking about, and I like Dazzler. Let's be clear about that. Dazzler is a fun character. Uh, it's just this specific graphic novel. Yeah, right. Exactly. So if you want, if you want us to really get into that <laughs> pit of despair, uh, <laughs> then, then help us out. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about some comics that I generally do like. Um, yeah, sure. The first yeah. of which is Amazing Spider-Man number ninety-two, and this is a big nineteen seventy-one. We're reading a fair amount of Spidey, yeah, uh, a again, lot of Spidey. which I which I feel good about, and it's a good mm-hmm. year for Spider-Man. There's a lot going on. One thing that, as we kind of lead into this issue, I guess one observation: how how fun Spider-Man supporting cast is, and how yeah. engaged I am when they're on page, you know, in a way that like no other comic in Marvel's lineup is is really even close to pulling mm-hmm. off, you know? Like they'll turn away from Peter Parker or Spider-Man action for, you know, extended sequences and I'm equally if not more engaged by like a page of Jonah and Robbie Robertson talking at the Daily Bugle and I think that's social issues, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why Spider-Man stands out so much even now. Mm-hmm. Um because it's just like there's a there's a Spider-Man world that is the most interesting world within the Marvel universe, I think. And most of it is not big superhero supervillain goings on. I mean, most of it is just normal people with normal problems. That is that is bumping up against all the the, the big stuff happening with Spider-Man. And I think that is kind of what separates it because Fantastic Four has tons of big plot, cosmic stuff, big sci-fi things going on, but it kind of I don't know, not a lot of it is consistent. It's just kind of flitting to and from all these different ideas and different characters. And Spider-Man has this core set of characters, and we get to know them. And, you know, just seeing a scene of Norman Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn, and Mary Jane is interesting because we know these characters and they've been built up over however many issues. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, so 92. Um, this The context for this is Gwen Stacy's father, Captain Stacy, has been killed, and she thinks Spider-Man has done it. Uh, and there's a new, there's a guy running for district attorney in New York City called Bullet. I can't remember his first name. But his last name's Bullet. And, his first uh, name might also be Bullet. Yeah, Bullet Bullet. Um, it's, it's a cool name, man. Um, Middle name's got to be Bill, I think, in that case. Bullet Bill Bullet. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's fun to say. Uh, he's running on this, like, very hard line law and order ticket. And he's enlisting the help of Gwen Stacy, to you know, as a as a endorsement, because Spider Man killed her father, she thinks, and the the daughter of a, a dead police captain will will hold a lot of sway with voters. Um, and the last issue ended with Spider Man like swinging into I think his apartment, where he found Gwen Stacy and District Attorney or wannabe District Attorney Bullet standing there, and so he decides that the only way that he can explain why Spider Man is <laughs> Entering Peter Parker's apartment is to kidnap Gwen Stacy on the spot, which felt like a right. little cold to me. Did you think that? I was like, I, I don't know. Like, a Peter Parker cold? actually, well, like, terrifying to Gwen Stacy. Like, he would actually put Gwen Stacy through that just to protect his identity. Um, no, that it felt right to me, actually. I mean, it felt yeah. in character. I think he's he hasn't told Gwen that he's Spider Man yet. I think to do so is is particularly. Um, not even in consideration at this point, no, seeing as no. she thinks, you know, he had a, a role in the death of her father. The last time he told, you know, he tried to tell Betty Brant that went all kinds of wrong. So I think Peter's got a history of of really protecting his identity. And obviously he's had the whole scare with Norman Osborn knowing it. So I, I actually think there's a lot in his history that 
builds to his first thought in almost any scenario where his identity might be exposed is to react very quickly to protect that, mm-hmm. even at the expense of something like scaring Gwen. And he gets a lot of internal monologue as he's doing that. He feels badly about it. <laughs> like he's not like <laughs> cold or callous to it. I don't think at all. Um, you know, he's he's definitely like, I wish I could tell you, but I can't. And I, I think that's the core drama of this particular moment. Yeah, so while while he's swinging away with Gwen Stacy struggling in his arms, and he's kind of at the same time trying to talk about, like, I don't know what you see in that puny Parker anyway, like bad-mouthing Peter Parker to make sure that there's a, a harsh line between the two of them. Um, She'll never connect us now if I say his name repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, right? I, yeah, that really does seem to be his main strategy. Peter Parker wouldn't keep talking about Peter Parker in the third person. Uh, yeah. It must not be him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... While, they, while he's swinging over the street, Bobby Drake just happens to be going by, X-Men member, Iceman, and he, he gives up on his date, which is, I think is very funny. Like, it's like 5 p.m. and he's like, ah, I gotta pack it in, sorry, bye, as he's like shoving her into a cab. Um, and uh, he gets into a fight with Peter Parker. Iceman sees this, thinks Spider-Man is menacing an innocent woman, and attacks, and we get a, you know, a good Spider-Man-Iceman fight. I think this is the most I've liked Iceman. Um... Like, through X-Men, I, having him act solo, we get to really see his powers fleshed out a little more than in a team setting. And, uh, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I think he, uh, it was good a, it to was see a good him fight. Right. It's good to see him solo, like you're saying. I, I actually think Iceman definitely, I the context I like Iceman typically are when he breaks out on his own or, like, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends style when he's actually outside the context of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like, he's never... He never really fits like he's kind of an outsider to the X-Men or what they become. And they'll obviously like he's an original X-Man and there's going to be a lot of integrating Iceman in various teams and iterations. Um, But I I, I, he almost like fits like better as a solo mutant um, than than on a team, which I think is interesting for what he'll eventually become. It's Marvel's. Had a, I think, a tough time figuring out what to do with Iceman. But here, he's the and teams, you know, in hey, general. I, I think Spider-Man guy. They they sometimes just don't give enough. Like Iceman will get one panel during a fight showing him, you know, throwing some snowballs, and that's all we get to see. But here, we kind of get to see a big, wide range of his power use, and uh, and it's fun yeah. versus Spider-Man. So Spider-Man right. kind of drops Gwen Stacy, or drop her, but like sets her down, and Iceman. Sa- I keep calling him Iceman. Iceman saves her, uh, and Peter Parker gets away. I was thinking, we get a scene of uh, when Bobby Drake decides to run after Spider-Man. He runs into an alleyway to change, which is basically he takes off his clothes. Um, and that made me think, when he de-ices, like when he turns off his ice powers, does he immediately snap back to human, or does all the ice melt and he's just like socking, sogging wet? I tend to think of it happening pretty quickly, although when he was a snowman, it begs the question. Because <laughs> well, he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of nice. I, just, I think that would be a funny wrinkle is every time that he undoes this, he, he looks like he just stepped out of the shower. And that's something he just has to constantly be explaining to people why he's soaking wet <laughs> when he runs back yeah, into the room. Yeah. Oh, hey, what, what's happening in here? I was uh, I was in the bathroom. The, the sink busted. Quick bath. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So he... Uh, the, the the other thing going on is that Bullet, the DA, uh, the candidate for DA, had intimidated Peter Parker in one of the earlier issues and tried to strong arm, strong arm him. 
And J. Jonah Jameson caught wind of this and decides to revoke his endorsement, the Daily Bugle's endorsement, and kind of Robbie, at the behest of Robbie Robertson, who's been doing some investigation, they they tell Bullet that they're pulling their endorsement, and Bullet shows up with a bunch of his henchmen, uh, and they get this really heated fight that is, I don't know, it's very, like, politically pointed. It's also very racially pointed because Robbie throws some slurs out. You know, Robbie Robbie. calls out, like, hey, we've been investigating you, bigot, or not bigot, bullet. And um, (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't say that at this point. (laughs) A little Freudian slip. Um, And he's like, you know, we investigate you and you know these crimes. And then Bullet lashes out and says something, I mean, racist. I don't remember. No, I I know the word. We shouldn't say it, but. Yeah, okay. No, it's like yeah, it's yeah. offensive and he's like he's saying it because Robbie's black and then JJJ steps up and lashes out at Bullet and says, you know, hey, we're going to take you down and he does say you've had it, bigot. Um yeah. Well, I mean, very, he like, says we've been we've been investigating. We we found out that you're being backed by various hate groups. We really we know what's behind your quote-unquote law and order ticket, right? Like we uh we know what that means for the minorities of the city. And I mean, they they laid out very explicitly. No, and it's it's also like this is very reflective of Law and Order is you know part of the Nixon campaign of nineteen sixty eight, and Nixon would have been president at this time in nineteen seventy one. So that's obviously a yeah. pretty famous phrase. It it can be attributed to a variety of people who came up with it, but it's a big part of the Nixon campaign. Yeah, and yeah. I, to me, this was definitely one of the most on the nose political <laughs> um, like attacks, I guess. Yeah, uh, that we've yeah, seen sure. in Marvel Comics because they definitely have here clearly the you know JJJ and Robbie Robertson siding against um, this DA who is like more or less a reflection of the president if taken to more I guess thuggish extremes like he literally has mm-hmm. cronies who are going to threaten to beat people up and all that um, it's yeah, interesting right. and and yeah this argument is like it gets way more heated than I've come to expect within the pages of, of Marvel Spider-Man at this point. And I think that's a good mm-hmm. thing that they, that they actually take it to that level. Yeah. I mean, it makes bullet a more interesting and nuanced and, uh, I don't know. I was going to say relatable. That's not really the word, but, uh, like understand well, like, you immediately. I mean, it's, it's yeah, right. Like relatable in the sense that I can relate to seeing figures like that in the political landscape. Yeah. Th- this culminates in bullet kidnaps. Bullet has his thugs kidnap Robbie Robertson, and Spider-Man happens to see this, gives chase. Iceman kind of chases after him, but then realizes that he's trying to rescue Robbie, and they team up together to take down Bullet's henchmen and um, and rescue Robbie, which is a great, like, it's a very good team-up. I feel like I haven't seen that many fun team-ups where they really work together and they combine their powers in creative ways. We're going to see this more as time goes on, you know, fastball special, stuff like that. But there, there's a really great moment here. We're also going to see Marvel team-up. <laughs> launch oh yeah literal here. like explicitly the marvel theme up the title yeah but i, yes, the I don't know how title. well those like yeah but i, I don't know I, I i don't remember how well those work but it, it's just fun when they really combine their powers so iceman kind of makes a a long um coats the floor with ice and then spider-man uses one of the thugs to bowl down the rest of him like <laughs> goes goes bowling with thugs pretty fun they they rescue robbie and then i love this moment at the end they go confront bullet while he's in the middle of a pre- press conference and yep. they say hey you're done like we rescued robbie robertson and you've been exposed and instead of like just denying it which he could easily do like <laughs> people don't like spider-man like he could have just yeah. said like who's this liar he just goes wait my men were supposed to kill you no you're like and into the kind of a, into the hot mic <laughs> yeah like 
you can't be alive. Yeah, exactly. Which is not the last time that <laughs> just yelling a uh, an accusation at somebody in public gets them to immediately break down in this year of comics. If only it were that easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is this is a this is a great issue. I think. Yeah, one one of the more interesting for having a pretty like unremarkable villain who I don't know if he ever comes back. Bullet, but like just uh, th- the way that they lean into real world stuff is really good. And Iceman was a weirdly fun addition. I kind of thought it was going to be just a lame crossover, but I liked him in this. Yeah, no, I think it works well. Um, cool. So that Spidey issue, we're going to go into a sequence of Hulk issues. Now, I will call out here. If you're using the older versions of the My Marvelous Year list, I did start the Hulk reading at Incredible Hulk number 137. <laughs> and we then and this would is go your, into your punishment for not like subscribing to our weekly newsletter. Uh, and, That's right. And getting the updated list. Actually, I think the show notes will have it. So you can check out the show notes. You don't have to pay anything. But yeah, it, as punishment, uh, you might have read Hulk 137. <laughs> that's correct uh i included it on the initial go around because it's the it's an instance of the hulk and the abomination together and we haven't read any abomination stories mm-hmm. so far in my marvelous year um this one is basically the so actually it's got a really cool cover which is probably why i picked it if i'm being totally mm-hmm. honest and it's uh it teases the abomination has maybe killed the hulk by throwing him in space and one thing i really like about this cover is it uses the logo as part of the text so there's a caption, so it's a caption cover, and the abomination is saying, I've killed the, or, you know, I've done it, I've killed, and then it uses the logo, the Hulk, as oh, to finish yeah, yeah, the caption, yeah. or I to finish the actual text. I didn't even notice that, but that, that's pretty cool, and I we're going to see that a lot, right? Like, yeah, oh no, I, well, it's I actually the, think it's kind of X-Men, like... Right, right, yeah. No, I, I like that use in style a lot. That's definitely the most interesting thing about this issue. So it has <laughs> I, been yeah, cut I, from the, the new, I opened the it new up. Uh, guide. I opened it up and started flipping through it, but it was weird because uh, something was wrong with Marvel Unlimited because it was just static for 20 pages when I read through it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what was happening. I just woke up five minutes later. It's an extended Moby Dick metaphor in space. <laughs> It features the abomination as a pirate captain. It's, I mean, it sounds more fun than it is, honestly. Yeah. It's actually yeah, well, like it, a weird, like, Planet Hulk precursor, but not done particularly well. It just well. introduces, like, eight space characters who will never come back, and you Too many. immediately know that they don't matter. Uh, the, the only good part about this is Cyborg, which is like, I don't know, their robot captain or something. Yeah. Is, yeah. A, is half robot. But like literally half right down the middle, <laughs> which is very oh, yeah. funny. I loved I loved that. Like I love just imagining what kind of uh, horrifying accident happened to him that you know like removed his entire left side that he had to have it replaced with robotics. I just like a table saw accident where he <laughs> his hair got jammed and then he would just slowly drag through <laughs> top to bottom. And they just I mean, you're to gonna love Deathlock and Cyborg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a I, I know Deathlock. Split. Yeah. You know what's kind of yeah. cool though. I was just thinking, if uh, if Cyborg got split right down the middle, and then they replaced mm-hmm. you know half of him with robots. What mm-hmm. about his other half? Is probably still out there. You could replace that with robots, and now you've got two cyborgs. You know well, his mean? other half was more or less disintegrated in an explosion. But oh, if you I can didn't actually read it. what happened to him. I I I went with the table saw theory that he got. Stuck in a table Oh, you're saw. talking about Cyborg. See, I'm talk- I've, I've been watching Doom Patrol lately, so I'm thinking about Cyborg in the DC universe. Uh, mm, okay. Yeah, I just started that. Cool show. So, the good Hulk, 
the good Hulk that we're going to read <laughs> is Hulk number 140. This is probably the best Hulk issue we've ever read. And definitely the best title we've ever seen. Oh, the, the, brute the, the title that stretches love over. at the heart of the atom. Yeah, it's so good. And it stretches over three pages. <laughs> love that. I, I like I was so excited. The brute dot 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 that shouted love dot 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 at the heart of the atom. It doesn't even oh, make yeah. sense. I have no idea what that. I, oh, well, I guess. No, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it just, I mean, it, it kind of makes it sound like it's a more um, antagonistic action. Like, he's looking at the heart of an atom and, like, shouting love at it. Instead of, yeah, never mind. This is nothing. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> that's, that's how, like, half these just end is me going, ah, never mind, this was nothing. <laughs> uh, he, uh... There's, a whole, there's something going on already that he was kidnapped by someone named Cyclop. Hang on, hang on. We got it. We got a good credits here because these are pretty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a story by Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Roy Thomas adaptation script. Mm-hmm. Herb Trim, yep. Sam Granger on art and Artie Simek and letters. Now Harlan Ellison is a pretty famous name in science fiction writing. Uh, yeah. He's very yeah. well known for uh, writing a Star Trek episode in particular, mm-hmm. as well as a lot of novels. He has a very short but interesting sort of Marvel career. Um, they actually this. Hulk issue spins out of Avengers, I think, 88, which was also a story that Ellison had provided mm-hmm. for Marvel. Um, and then that leads into this one. Now, I would argue Hulk 140 gives you most of the context you need. Yeah, yeah, um, you don't need But if more. you're a big Ellison fan, you can check it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see them bringing in like a pretty renowned science fiction writer uh, to, to develop some stories. Because frankly, this one stands out as one of the best ideas that Hulk has ever had. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I, I mean, Ellison is good at those just crazy sci-fi ideas that, uh, you know, with the the big sci-fi twist at the end. And we're gonna we're gonna get that at the end of this. Um, but yeah, and oh, I was thinking with that title, Roy Thomas. As much as I'm like, I I've been warming on him a bit, but I'm still somewhat lukewarm. He uh, he's pretty good at titling comics, right? Like even an android can try, even an android can cry. Um, yeah, this one like he's he's good at those big bombastic titles and selling them. Mm-hmm. So, some some credit. Big bombastic is definitely his wheelhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, a guy named Cyclop, which is like way too. Just, I mean, Cyc- <laughs> just imagine him fighting the X Men and someone yelling Cyclops, and then both of them turning and go, "Huh? What?" <laughs> he has the Hulk kidnapped, and he wants to study him to like harness his power or something, and. He decides to shrink him down so that he can study him more easy, which is like a real cute idea. Just a, a little, uh, a very angry six inch tall Hulk running mm-hmm. around rampaging and destroying your toaster. And, uh, and I think that the Avengers bust in and because of this, he shrinks him too small. Like the shrinking ray goes uh, unmonitored and he gets shrunk down past the point of just being tiny. Into the you know, they really have to put safety locks on these shrinking rays because yeah, time and problem. time again, it runs out of control. People get shrunk too tiny every mm-hmm. single time there's a shrinking ray. This happens. Guys, just develop like a minimum put a capacity yeah. threshold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he gets shrunk. I, I, I like the uh, the way that they show the sequence where he gets shrunk because they show he gets shrunk down super tiny goes through, like, the barrier into the microverse, and then he's this giant in the microverse, but then he continues to shrink, and now he's tiny in the microverse uh, and gets smaller and smaller. Um, and wait, and then if he's that small in the microverse, does he find, like, a, a 
colony of little people in the microverse, like who are small even for the microverse. I guess I don't really know how that worked out. Do you know what I mean? Because they showed him like being small, like standing at They're the all, feet of so of he humans. fights a pig. Hulk fights oh, a big well, pig. All right, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> And and this big pig chases him to a colony of folks oh, well, who don't, are now don't skip like no 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 size. don't skip the pig fight. I want to talk about the pig fight. It's the, the okay. Here's the thing: when I said Hulk the pig fights fight. a pig, I'm pretty sure I discussed the pig fight. No, no, he it's a boar. He snaps the boar's tusk off and then stabs him in the chest with it, which is like maybe the most violent thing we've seen in Marvel comics so far. <laughs> That's like, pretty barbaric. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think we've seen like I mean. The good guys don't kill people or animals. Uh, like, we haven't seen that before. And having him just, like, I don't know. I thought it was pretty. It, it's not gruesome now, the way it's drawn. We've, but we've seen people kill before. Yeah, I mean, they've that... been shot bloodlessly, like, off screen. Spider-Man <laughs> threw a rocket at a guy in a he car. Threw a, he threw a rocket at a guy? Yeah, the finisher in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 5. He blew up a dude with a rocket. No, did he? <laughs> He's I, dead. I, I have no memory <laughs> for that. Have you ever seen that YouTube video? Yeah. It's, it's from Polygon. Of like all the times Spider-Man has not killed somebody, and it's going through a, of talking about how Spider-Man doesn't kill in the PS4 Spider-Man game, and yeah, watching like one at a time, like oh yeah, that guy's definitely dead, and him trying to justify how <laughs> all these henchmen are surviving these brutal beatings and uh, yeah. car accidents that Spider-Man is putting them through. It's good stuff. No, it's a. I haven't seen it, but it, I'm sure it's you, yeah, I'm sure it's it very funny. true. I think it's definitely one of the bigger suspensions of disbeliefs um, that I actually really don't have a huge problem with uh in any context of superhero comics but i Sometimes, i kind of yeah. like the idea of the hulk like if he's gonna be this raging monster then show some of the destruction because yeah 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 I'm he's, he's kind of like big friendly hulk you know kind of jolly green giant and it's like yeah. no that's not really how this probably plays out you know yeah and here yeah, the yeah. boar gets it so apparently if it's a I've, boar, I've been so. playing i've been playing arkham city lately and that really has that problem of just like Here's five guys standing by themselves, minding their own business, and then I sneak up behind them and put them all in traction. Like, the beatings that you hand down to these people who are already in prison. <laughs> They're literally in prison, and you are sneaking right. up and then just beating the snot out of them and leaving them with, like, tr yeah, tons of uh, bone fractures. I'm excited for the Arkham 5 version where you can sneak up and then just talk to them and see what, what they're doing, <laughs> what they want to do, whether or not they're a threat to you. Batman Arkham walking simulator. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, uh, he finds a bunch of boars attacking a tiny city and he defends the city from the boars because he doesn't like boars. And he... Uh, he wins the adoration of this city. They start, there's a, a nice moment where he thinks they're jeering him, but they're really applauding for him. The princess of the city, Jarella, immediately falls in love with him and commands her sorcerers to teach the Hulk their language, which they do, but it inadvertently also, like, what, what's the phrase you use for this? Turns him into uh, Professor Green? What is it? Oh, <laughs> Doc Green is a title Doc that Green. comes up later, but it's when the Bruce Banner mind. Is mm -hmm. inhabiting the body of the Hulk. It's a yep. thinking Hulk. Yep, yep. So he becomes the the consort of the princess here, and he's intelligent but also strong, and uh, and he gets about three pages <laughs> to, to be um, like smart Hulk and happy Hulk. Is he he's living a pretty idyllic existence. He falls in love with Jarella. She's a, a green girl there. Everybody's green mm -hmm. here as well. Oh yeah, that that was another. It's really thing the per he loves. He's stumbled upon the perfect town. 
and, and Hulk's finding some peace at last, you know, really. And uh, even while he's talking in this town, he's even quoting the works of Harlan Ellison, which I found pretty pretty wild. Oh, he's quoting titles yeah. of science there's, fiction there's a lot books of, that Ellison had written. There's a lot of Ellison quotes in here, that some of which just don't make any sense. Like, when he's fighting the boar, he talks about, like, animal rage and instinct. And sometimes it's just a boy and his dog, which is a Harlan Ellison book. But, like... It this feels no like Roy Thomas con- winking too hard, you know? Yeah, it's apparently like there's like winking at us. I read about it. There's like 20 Harlan Ellison references weaved into this comic, I guess. And yeah. some of them are just blatantly like, that sentence doesn't make any sense. I guess it's a reference. Uh, he also references yeah. Shazam. Did you you notice that, right? He says like at some it, point when the, when the sorcerers are turning him, like giving him language, they say it, there's like a, a quote from, it's a quote from Ray Bradbury and then... It says like, and then Shazam, as Billy Batson said. Right, right. Which no, I, I, actually, yeah, I took a screenshot of that because it's it's a very direct um, Captain Marvel reference, and I think Roy Thomas would write Captain Marvel around this time for DC. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I gotta, I'd have to look at the publication dates, but like that, that's definitely that's something that would have been on his mind <laughs> because. Although it seems crazy he would have been doing that now because he's editor-in-chief for Marvel. so that It also didn't later. even make sense in the context except, like, here's a sorcerer, and so we're going to quote the sorcerer from Shazam. Yeah, it was... It oh, was, I appreciate was, that Roy Thomas would see a wizard and think, oh, I better reference Shazam. I, yeah, I like that. Yeah, he's a big yeah. Golden Age comics guy. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. some of the, the writing was a little little odd, but... Uh, yeah, so just as, thing, just as things are working out for Hulk, a giant hand crashes through the ceiling and snatches him back into the real world and cyclop has been watching him like pulls him back up to study him has the hulk like captured again pull and as he gets pulled back into the normal universe he loses his intelligence and what just one things seem totally dire for the hulk another giant hand comes down and says like you failed us cyclop uh, you were sent here to harness the energy from this universe and you failed and a giant hand comes down and pulls cyclop into a new universe which is like a pretty fun little uh like Twilight Zone twist at the end. Yeah, yeah, I like the twist. I like the Super Smash Bros. hand coming down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Day, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a really good Hulk issue. I think there's a lot here that is going to honestly like be the foundation for some of the best Hulk work that is to come. Um, but definitely, I mean, I would say it's my favorite Hulk issue that we've read so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, so credit where it's due to Ellison for the concept and the story and for Roy Thomas and company for delivering. This all leads into Hulk number 141, which is the debut of Doc Samson, psychiatrist. And I don't have nearly as much that is worth going into on this other than to say Doc Samson, Leonard Samson is a psychiatrist um, who will be a player in Hulk comics for some time. In this instance, it's a whole issue about uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, they bring in Samson as sort of the the guy who has a plan to stop both stop the Hulk and to save Betty Ross's life. She's trapped in this weird sort of experimental limbo. <laughs> do you know and, uh, do you know what happened to her? Uh, Why she's no, like what? <laughs> she got a bl- the Sandman captured her and forced her to get a blood transfusion. So she's got like Sandman blood, like a very gritty blood transfusion that turned her into glass. <laughs> It's really ridiculous. Uh, that's why she's like been turned into crystal. That sounds exactly right. Yeah, of course, that's what happened. Um, so yeah, Doc Sampson's whole plan here is he he like hooks up Hulk and Betty into some like weird psych gizmo, and basically at the end of the day, he does 
almost cure the Hulk. He does save Betty Ross's life. And he also captures for himself gamma radiation infusion, which mm-hmm. turns this sort of, um, you know, regular looking psychiatrist into a big hulking man with long green hair. He doesn't quite hulk out in the same way. Um, no. be, he's still got his brain, but he does become more arrogant and definitely leaning into the it a bit more. I don't know if he becomes more arrogant. He was very arrogant to begin with. He was like pretty intolerable at the beginning to the point where all the military men like hated him for it because he just kept using like, hmm, allow me to copiously examine Betty Ross, like just using words that don't even really make sense, but they're just big fancy words. Um, maybe it just stands out more now that he's super into his muscles and hair as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah sure. he, he becomes like a, he's kind of like, he's kind of just the bad guy in this issue. Um, but Samson's going to be a guy who's around and, and have a, a somewhat amicable relationship with a lot of the Hulk crew. So that's, uh, I don't, I don't know. That's he, his like, introduction. I, I didn't know if he was really a bad guy. He started dating Betty Ross, which th- this was really strange because he just started taking well, Betty Ross the out Hulk on dates. And, which isn't atypical, well, you know. The Hulk is not the Hulk, but like Bruce Banner stops being the Hulk. They like successfully sap the Hulk out of him. But then Bruce Banner gets jealous that Samson is dating Betty Ross and he runs and re-infects himself with gamma radiation, which I thought was right. kind of a crazy character choice. We don't even see it. Like it happens off screen. They show a, a picture of the building that Bruce Banner went into and the caption just says that like, he went in and exposed himself to gamma radiation again. And it's like, that's a huge choice for Bruce Banner to make. Like, <laughs> Bruce Banner is finally free of this. And then they, like, hand wave it away in a panel that he just voluntarily did it again because he was jealous of some guy it dating feels Betty like, and he wanted to punch him. Yeah. It feels like early Fantastic Four when Ben Grimm, like, slapped the cure out of Reed's hand. <laughs> it's like, this is, like, the core of your character struggle and has been for and will be for years and you just made this like totally irrational choice. And and here we see the Hulk, or we don't even see the Hulk doing it because he does it off panel. Yeah, so, uh, oh, th- there was one other thing about the Hulk. He mentioned something about like the anger, angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. And I don't know if that was just like kind of rhetoric or if they're starting to like build that into the character. Because isn't that kind of a Hulk thing, right? Like the angrier you get him, totally. the more unstoppable he becomes. Yeah, I don't know if we've actually mm-hmm. seen that really said explicitly. Like I, I remember the... Um, the old Ang Lee Hulk movie when he was getting like the military was shooting him and you saw the bullets like rippling off of him and he was just getting madder and bigger and bigger as he got shot because <laughs> they were just ticking him off. That That's a cool idea that I don't think we've uh, seen spelled out yet. Yeah, no, definitely a big part of the Hulk's character. Um, I think of it just being with him all the time, but you're right. There probably is an actual origin date to that. The next issues we talked about are Avengers 85 and 86. And uh, this is a big Avengers Squadron Supreme crossover of sorts. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is essentially we have the issue begins with the Avengers are all together and it pretty quickly builds to uh, everything starts just going on the fritz. People start fading into sort of like what we would imagine like Sue Storm Invisible looking and, and freezing and basically the transported Avengers that come to find themselves on this weird mysterious like planet are scarlet witch quicksilver um i should have written this down vision and hang on it's hawkeye. gonna it's gonna come to me is it hawk see i can't even call him hawkeye yeah Goliath. because he's so nipply um yeah so yeah. there's a really cool page six visual of this world that they travel to where mm-hmm. there's like melting people on this planet yeah, it's, it's kind like of terrifying so hot 
yeah, it's kind of, and it's wordless, this like one visual um, mm-hmm. where it's like this planet is just, it's it's like it's on its final days. You know, it's almost like extinction level. The planet's going to overheat and and be the end of it. Yeah. Um. So they, let's see. Um. Okay. So they're, they're realized, the Avengers realize they're in an alternate reality of yeah. sorts and that, you know, they quickly encounter some of the members of the Squadron Supreme well, they, seen they go back in time and they realize of, that they're seeing the future when they see that the earth is melting and then they zap back like a month earlier to before this was happening. Okay, right. So there's there's a lot of time travel and alternate reality hopping and yeah, all for, of it is to set up them meeting the Squadron Supreme. And yeah, the roster in the Avengers is getting pretty crowded at this point because it's all the ones you mentioned plus like Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, um, the Black Knight is there. Like, everyone is kind of an Avenger at this point. So it is interesting seeing we're starting to get the, you know, the split off of teams. Like, oh, in this issue, we're going to get these five Avengers going off on their own adventure. And these three are over here doing something. And Black Panther and Captain America are handing out toys for tots, which is literally what's happening. Um, yeah, Which so is a Marines-run to... program. I didn't know that. Yeah, I meant to actually look that up to see if that was true <laughs> or not. Um, <laughs> it turns out it is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, this this issue's fine, you know, it kind of turns into one of those big misunderstanding things where they're like, oh, the squadron's sinister, we fought you before, you're evil, and they're like, no, we're not evil, you're evil, and then they fight for a while before they realize they're on the same team, and I'm, like, exhausted by that, so, yeah, I don't know, it's, there's another yeah, thing. Yeah, I think the most interesting squadron member here, uh, and the clear focus of Roy Thomas's writing is Nighthawk, yep. uh, who is going to have more of a role in 70s Marvel than than really any of the rest of the Squadron Supreme. Um, he is he is the Batman or Owlman sort of analog. Yeah. And he um, basically he's the first one to recognize that the Avengers should not be treated as enemies, that actually they have a common enemy. It's this brainchild. Um, we get a lot of brainchild backstory <laughs> brainchild here. Child it, he's very similar to, honestly, like some of the first villains we ever looked at in the club. I think like the Gargoyle, where he is... He's name? a genius. He's extremely smart. Um, but the he's world ten years looks old. at him. He's ten years old, right? He's like a kid, and the, the world looks at him as sort of a freak, and he's lashing out and wants to, you know, literally destroy the the world. As a result, um, the Avengers team up with the Squadron. They take him down. I got I got more brainchild. I think the brainchild is like primo material for uh, rebooting the uh, Baby Geniuses franchise. Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, like the, the dark. Gr- the dark, gritty Zack Schneider reboot, like Baby Geniuses Three, Enfant Terrible. Not even, not nothing, not even a laugh. <laughs> I'm I, to be. I'm smiling. I think so. Like it doesn't come through on the podcast, but I am placating that pretty good joke. <laughs> pretty good. You. I thought it was pretty good. I was happy with that one. Um. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, it, it's nothing. It's a bunch of fights, and then they team up, and then they find more Squadron Supreme members who they fight, and then realize that they're on the same team with and it's I, the only good part about this is the way that they defeat the brainchild which is that hyperion who's like the the superman analog knocks himself unconscious and hawkeye takes like a piece of rebar and some cable and he's goliath now and he's like oh i hope hyperion won't mind and he uses him as a human arrow <laughs> to shoot him at brainchild that's pretty cool and then just like shoots an unconscious hyperion head first into this big contraption and then i, I paid attention to it None of the rest of the panels show, like, Hyperion getting up or them dealing with, like, him using Hyperion as uh, as ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> and they never deal with this again. But I would love to think of Hawkeye, uh, that 
that he has this idea in his head now, like, oh man, I miss being Hawkeye. And he's constantly trying to grab his teammates to fire them from a giant bow from <laughs> now on. Well, I did, like, I did call this out not that long ago that I miss, I wish he was larger and stronger and still had the skill set of Hawkeye. So mm-hmm. I, I actually really like him using those skills because it's like, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be Hank Pym running around smashing things. You're, you have a different specific skill set. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know why he's Goliath right now. It's very boring, but I, I, I would like to think that he, uh, he's got a little taste of human arrows and, uh, and he wants more. <laughs> we can only hope. All right. So that uh, the things I like here are, I do like, I like what the squadron Supreme is going to become. I like this sort of changing the squadron sinister dynamics a little bit to the point that they aren't so just like, um, on the nose villains. Um, and then just anytime the Avengers are hopping realities, I think it can lead to some strong storytelling, but not as strong as what we're going to find in Amazing Spider-Man. These are fine. Do you, I think the big issue with Sal Buscema's art in these is that I, I realized this reading them now is because I was thinking like they just don't flow well. You have to really like put the work into <laughs> to follow them clearly. And I think it's because he doesn't do almost any establishing shots of like putting our, the characters into space. Like, it's also zoomed in. It's really a hard time. You have a hard time following the action because everything is so, like, tight in on the characters. No, I think you're right. And I think that's something I've been noticing more is if we're just, yeah, if we're just constantly zoomed in on character shots with very limited backgrounds, you mm-hmm. don't really get a sense of how they're interacting with each other. Yeah. Um, or right. the space that they're in or where they're traveling, things like this. Um, and it's, then you are reliant on oodles and oodles of text. Yeah. And yeah, that is yeah. not a particularly pleasant reading experience. <laughs> Right, <laughs> exactly. Know? Unless it's yeah, like really captivating. And, and Sal Bushima does some other work, I think later this year, that, that's a little better. Um, yeah, I can't, oh, Fantastic Four, he does some. That, that's a little better. But just compare it to like John Rabita's Spider-Man, where you don't need the text at all to follow what's happening. Like it just flows super smoothly and he doesn't always have Spider-Man zoomed in up close. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so speaking of which, Spider-Man 96, we're reading 96 through 98, which is kind of one big story here. And these are big, historically historically important comics, right? So these are like the first comics Marvel put out while rejecting the comic book code. No, not quite. I don't think so the first the first ones in the like modern age, right? Since since the comic code came into to being, no. So let's. I think it's a later issue because they they tackle the drug problem here. So I know what you're saying. Let me um let me check yeah, yeah. that. Look it up if you want. Because I, I think it's actually a later one. Oh, no, no. This is definitely the ones that he doesn't have the comic code on. Like, they, they don't put the seal on these issues, for sure. Is that right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, this was, like, at the behest of the Nixon administration. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. he was asked. No, you're totally right. Yeah. I don't know why I thought that was a different one. Okay. Yep, yeah. carry on. Remember, you're the comic book expert. I'm the newbie, Dave. Um, yeah, so at, at the behest of the Nixon administration... No, carry on, noob. He... <laughs> Thank you. At the behest of the Nixon administration, Stanley wrote this three-part comic trying to like directly tackle some drug problems, like drug addiction and like a drug a drug epidemic that was happening in cities. And uh, the comic book code rejected them because they weren't allowed to use weren't allowed to portray drug use. Period. Like even in a negative light, you're not allowed to show it existing, which is you know absurd. And I've read varying like varying reports that. The guy who was in charge of the comic book code was out sick, like, the day that these came in, so his second-in-command was taking over and, you know, <laughs> basically didn't... did it, it, It's some guy who's pretty famous. He, like, he was an editor for, like, Archie Comics, I think, um, but he was also the head of the comic book code. And, 
Yeah, he was out sick, so they were just following, like, the exact letter of the law by saying, like, nope, sorry, you can't put these out. Even though the the federal government was asking Stanley to do this as an anti-drug measure. So, yeah, re- really absurd. But Stanley was just like, oh, no, I, I like this story. We're going to put it out the way it is. We just won't put the, uh, the comic code on it. It sold really well, and then he just put the comic book code on them in the future. And uh, it's interesting, because Stanley later, I was reading in the 90s, was like, Oh, yeah, it wasn't hard to follow the comic book code. Like, I basically just did it inadvertently. Like, I didn't, I never bumped up against them because I never wanted to put sex or violence, like extreme violence in my comics anyway. So I never yeah. really had a problem with them besides this. So he never thought he had it's, to like it's work interesting. around it. Yeah, no, that's, it's good historical knowledge. I think it, um, it highlights a couple things. One is the, the uselessness of the comics code. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, for like, sure. <laughs> oh, we just took it off the cover. It's like, it's that easy, you know? Like, yeah. the comic was still distributed and it was fine. <laughs> it was like, it's surprising you know, that it's it took like this... them another 30 years to fully just be like, oh, we don't really need you, right? Like, people don't actually care, so... Yeah, it took forever to actually, like, totally... Didn't DC drop it in, code. like, 2012 or something? Like, No, it's like, yeah, it's like weirdly recent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marvel um, was soon. It was but... like, it was news. <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot of people yeah. are like, what? What are you talking about? What is this thing? Um, anyway, so yeah, it's kind of kind of funny that he just like took it off. It's also if you read these issues today, as as we do, mm-hmm. they tackle drug problems, and it's it's interesting to hear them talk about it. It's very clearly anti-drug in a way that I think would be pretty appealing to establishment to government. Um, it's, it's there's no like subversive message here. I, I guess the con- the controversy maybe just the fact that it even bit. includes them. I did. I disagree slightly. Yeah, because like, no, I I get what you're saying. Like, it, I mean, it's not that much of a challenge, but it does make a point to underline that the drug problem is not a like, it's not a African American problem. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's not a poor per- person problem. They specifically say like, you know, it affects. <laughs> it's a problem with rich and poor people alike because they do show, they show some uh, black kid like up on a roof, all strung out and hallucinating, thinking he can fly and jumping off a roof, and Spider Man saving him. And then they also show Harry Osborn, like rich, privileged kid, getting hooked on pills. So they do make a point of saying like this: this is not you know an inner city problem. This is a this is just an American problem. Which I mean, yes, that's good. I I meant more like yeah. they're not like oh, and here's a positive example of drug use and all the fun. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? It's not that kind. Um, yeah, even yeah, though yeah, like sure. we're at the point in time where there have been a lot of people in the Marvel offices or or shortly there to come who would be like, yeah, we're dropping LSD and making cosmic comics. You know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah, that yeah, era sure. is upon us. In Mar- if you read Marvel Comics: The Untold Story, like. By Sean Howe, there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> chemicals being being taken by some of the creators involved. Um, but yes, yeah, I, mean, another right, decade, I think that's like, one of the things this comic does best is to say, like, this is in this is a problem for everyone. It's not just poor people and minorities. Um, yep. I think that actually gets highlighted pretty clearly. But there's actually so it, so Harry develops a drug problem. That's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the Harry piece of this. But then on top there's of that, there's actually a really important on, yeah. Spider-Man story going on which is yeah. the return of of norman osborne as the green goblin i don't think we would actually have to go in this much detail but there's a couple really good moments just in setting this up which is that harry and norman osborne along with peter parker are going to see mj's first like off-broadway performance right and uh which turns out is just like her in some like go-go dancer suit 
dancing on stage. Like, you get the idea that, like, I, I don't know what this show is. They only show, like, MJ is just dancing. It was it was the play dance. It's a, it's a one-woman show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just MJ on stage dancing alone. I There's a chance, there's a chance that this was, like, off-Broadway and MJ just rented out the studio and <laughs> set it all up herself. Yeah. You know? There might not be anyone else involved. I mean, they seem to like it. Like, Norman Osborne was creepily, like, leering at her. I I mean, which actually fits in with the, uh, what the he movie does. version. He does say something to Harry, like, Oh, son, if I was 20 years younger, which is, like, gross, Dad. Um, there, there's a moment there's a lot of so uh, good There's a lot of at. Sam Raimi, Spidey-type stuff in this. Like, going to see MJ at the play. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Norman offers Pete a job, you know, to work for him at, at Osborne Industries. Like, there's a lot of good... Osborne dynamic like stuff fundamental that comes character building stuff yeah 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 pretty important stuff that you know it's like hey it took a hundred issues to get there but this stuff's gonna when I think about Spider-Man it's a big part of his history is like him having the opportunity to work at Osborne Industries stuff like that you know yeah yeah right um there's an amazing moment here where they bump into Aunt May like Peter Parker just accidentally runs into Aunt May on the street and they're on their way to a Broadway production of Hair which I think is really funny Peter Parker is just like oh Aunt May, are you sure that you want to go see that? That's a little, like, that that might be a little wild for you. And she's just yeah. like, she says like that uh, Anna, Mer- Anne, Anna Watson is teaching her to be hip and a swinger, which is like, you should have seen how, like, big my eyes got when Aunt May says she's becoming a swinger. Like, they're going to go see hair, and then they're going to go to a key party. I mean, Aunt May lives her life. As we all learned in the Marvel Comics special, Trouble, which will be on the poll, the 1971 or no, no, the July poll for worst comics that we of Marvel comics history that we might consider reading. <laughs> the the uh, just Aunt May reinvents herself. The new adventures of old Aunt May. That's listen. If you don't know trouble, bless you. Um, um, yeah. There's yeah. also so, a really nice moment when they're inside the MJ play, and uh, Randy Robertson, son of Robbie Robertson, comes up and <laughs> just like so he meets Norman Osborn. Oh yeah, play, yeah, yeah. And then immediately gets on him. Like, hard for not stopping the drug problem. Hey, rich man, what are you doing about the drug problem? You're rich. Like, he comes in so hot and so heavy. I love it. Like, it's very fast. It's too fast to force in, I think, the the conversation they want to have. But I like the idea that Randy's just going up to wealthy people and just taking them to task for not doing more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of fun to see, like, Norman Osborn sweat and squirm a little bit um yeah and then mj mj is just all of i mean gwen's oh we didn't say this gwen stacy left for london uh because she is her father's dead she doesn't have family here and she went to live with an aunt and uncle so under uh, underneath all this peter parker is pining for gwen stacy mj is like so thirsty for peter parker <laughs> in these issues yeah. like he's at the the play and he's She's like, do you want me to find your seat? He's like, no, it's okay. I can find it. I'm a big boy. And she's just like, mm, I know you are. Right in front of Harry, who she's dating. <laughs> Which does lead it's Harry. The Harry-MJ yeah. relationship always feels off because because of what we know, obviously, about Peter and MJ. Um, but yeah. she's like, like, she's cuckolding him in broad daylight, I think we can pretty <laughs> safely say. <laughs> in front of his dad, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... At the end of the play, Norman Osborn goes into kind of a trance, and he's just like, something about this sounds fami- seems familiar. And then he walks backstage, and he's like, 
I've got a key. This is weird. This key fits this door. And he goes in and Spider-Man follows him. And then out pops the Ant-Man Swinger Party. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Parker immediately hangs himself with his own webbing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Green Goblin bursts out of this room and he's just like, you know, I, I don't know what the implication is here. Like Norman Osborn had his Green Goblin costume in the back of this theater. Like he had a, a stash with all of his equipment. I don't, I don't know what the... Sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it works fine. I guess it just seems strange. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. I'm, I'm being fussy. It's coincidental. But the important but part is... Green Goblin is Green Goblin's back. He still knows that Spider-Man or Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he immediately like confronts him. And that's the, the end of 96 moving into 97. Um, yeah. And, AMS uh, 97, I think is, is most interesting to me because Peter Parker starts wearing <laughs> long gold, gold chains, a lot of gold. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, so, okay. It, here's what, and like a, a leather vest at 97, Harry gets into drugs and he's got a dealer, and Pete is where I. Who's who are you more concerned about, Pete in his dress habits, <laughs> or Harry in his drugs? Well, I don't Harry know. also is wearing like an orange turtleneck underneath, like a um, what's the word? A, a corduroy, you know, dinner jacket. <laughs> or like yeah, his corduroys are also like trying to make an afro. Like they're trying to go cornrow afro on us, mm-hmm. and in some panels, in his hairline, like his widow's peak, is just perfectly pointed. I love, I love Harry's that hairstyle. Harry Osborne's drug dealer is a total hippie. He's got these like long blonde locks and uh, a thick curly mustache. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's good. The the, the like seventy style is so leaking into all of this, and it's it's very fun. Yes, um, it's definitely it's quite entertaining. So Harry Harry gets into his drugs. It leads to a lot of mood swings. He's high as a kite and happy, and then he's angry, and he takes it out on Peter, and then he's crying. And then all that builds to essentially he has a – he collapses, and he's going to be sick. Uh, Pete rushes him to the hospital, and that's where Harry winds up. Pete now as Spider-Man. No, so while they're at their apartment, Harry collapses, and the Green Goblin bursts through the wall at their apartment and begins to fight him. Peter Parker, like, starts confronting Peter Parker in his own home, which is, you know, again, terrifying for Peter, right? Like, he's coming for you where you live. Peter Parker fends him off by picking up Harry's unconscious body and, like, forcing the Green Goblin to look at him. And the Green Goblin can't face the fact that, like, this is my son and I don't want to, you know, think about that. So he flees. And then Peter brings him to the hospital. Yeah, Harry's Harry is Peter's shield, more or less, against the <laughs> yeah. Green Goblin here. He's also in 98. This is how... Pete's going to stop the goblin yeah. is to basically yeah, he the flies into Harry's again. hospital window and says, hey, your son's sick. This kind of snaps him out. So now Norman as Green Goblin is kind of he's kind of Bruce Banner hulking back and yeah. forth yeah, yeah. in his consciousness. And seeing Harry sick in bed snaps him back to the Norman Osborn persona. And the issue ends essentially with a pretty convenient resolution, which is he snaps back to Norman. This means he forgets everything about the Goblin, everything he knows about Peter Parker's Spider-Man, all <laughs> yeah. of these hatreds. Um, and Peter is weirdly resigned to just be like, oh, and he'll that's good then. <laughs> Surely that won't come. Oh, out. good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, this is this is taken care of. This will never be a problem again. I don't know. You I think know, one of the me? most frustrating. It's one of the most frustrating Spidey things because we know what the Goblin's going to do. Um, but it's like he has so many windows and he keeps just letting Norman off the hook, I think. Yeah. In, I mean, what, in what's ways the that like don't like, even 
that he that he goblin passes out and then he just chokes him to death like no not I mean, even not even like couldn't he take him to any police station like well this no because then he would expose that he's him, the green right? goblin that's the, that's the point is that like he can't yes, expose him I, that's what i'm saying that's what i frustrates well no me, but he can't expose, expose the green him. goblin because if he does the green goblin will ex- expose peter parker as spider-man and i think that that's his fear is that like if he but, turns right, into but Norman, when he's in when he's amnesiac and he's relying on him not even to know that i don't know yeah, i think here yeah. if you're peter the green goblin is a danger he's putting more people in danger by virtue of not resolving the green goblin menace oh for and sure that's going yeah. to bite him and i i yeah. do think that's it's a guilt that peter will live with but i think when you actually like live through the build-up like this as we're reading it it's really frustrating i think because he's so he's very actively not taking action i guess yeah yeah i mean this this is like this is some real superhero stuff of like oh the joker will kill again like he will find a way to kill again yeah. if you don't kill him right now apocalypse like will kill again lex luther will kill again like the best, <laughs> I, I just read all that Infinite Crisis stuff where uh, Wonder Woman snaps Maxwell Lord's neck and the whole world yeah. loses their mind. And I'm just like, no, like, it's good though, right? Like, you should, you should snap all their necks, right? Like, they're going to kill a lot of people. <laughs> it's just like, I, I am so like, I have no time for the argument that they should not just be killing all of them. Like, <laughs> especially when it comes to these supervillains who, uh, who it's, it's so like, just because they're not actively threatening somebody like they absolutely will be in the future and they're they're not yeah i mean that, that's a real batman i, I appreciate that, that it's an argument i appreciate the idealistic standard of our heroes not resorting to that i think in particular i would say like with the joker argument which gets made the most batman at least repeatedly tries he repeatedly plays the game of putting him in prison spider-man's not <laughs> yeah. doing anything He's not yeah, doing anything yeah, with the yeah, Goblin. He's literally letting him walk free and just hoping he'll keep forgetting, even though he just got his memory back. It just happened. The, the this is a be, huge this, mistake. Yeah, that that whole, like, you know, no killing ethos thing works better for me when we're talking about, like, Silver Age, kind of much sillier comics, right? But when you start getting into, like, villains who regularly just kill people with impunity it becomes, like, more frustrating to me. That's why I didn't like the Daredevil show, at least the first season. I was getting so frustrated by Daredevil's, like, no-kill policy, because it's like, these are people who break the uh, the justice system. It, like, have, having this ethos when uh, when you're talking about, like, literal human slavery, right? You've got, like, gangsters who are putting people into to slavery and mm-hmm. uh, murdering, and you are just like, well, I'm gonna... I'm going to arrest you, and then you're going to buy the judge, and then I guess I'm going to punch you a bunch, and that's all I can do. I quite like it. I, I'm definitely on the complete opposite stance of you. I, I wrote about it for Daredevil Season 2, because I think it really stands out there in, in contrast to The Punisher. Um, Daredevil refusing to give in to that level of violence is, to me, especially... Uh, it's especially, like, you could call it naive, or you could call it um, phony, you know, like, oh, that'll never work, but it's especially pertinent i think today to see someone value life so strongly that they will well, not cross that line i really love you know that what? actually in superheroes um and i think it's something that it, it's something we should hold to because it's an optimism that is important i think to to keep in our heroes even though there are obviously there are other spaces like if you want stories where people take out the bad guys you know like I mean, I got, I got good, John Wick. that's a punisher yeah, story yeah. yeah yeah no for sure i i i think d- different Different ones of these work differently for me. 
I think Daredevil season one drove me nuts because of something that happens, which is like, well, they beat the criminal justice system. Like the system is not working as it should be. And the Dare and Daredevil can't do anything about it. So the show needs to contrive a way to punish them. So you get stuff like people who conveniently fall off buildings to their death, but Daredevil didn't kill them. Or the man who like stabs himself with a piece of rebar in the face instead of Daredevil having no options. Do you remember when that happened? It was like a guy. It's been who, a while since I've yeah, watched. It was like a one, guy so. who literally he was some I don't know evil villain. Daredevil arrested him. He like intimidated the jury into letting him go, and then Daredevil confronted him. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? Arrest him again? You can't do anything. Like the story has put you at a dead end here. And then the guy killed himself by like pushing his face into some rebar because the story had nowhere else to go with him. No other punishment for him because Daredevil couldn't do anything. And when I can see that the story, like the actual plotting, has to punish him because you know daredevil can't because he has his rules that's what frustrates me i mean he still punishes them physically yeah i know but just like, that is still that is still criminal a lot of behavior. a lot of punches <laughs> like yeah 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 i mean this is like a literal human trafficker who's walking yeah all right we're, we're talking way too much about daredevil um I, I i get what you're saying i think i agree with that um to a degree that doesn't get talked about that much you know like the ideals of that that argument doesn't get made it kind of just is a given that like they won't kill um and i think that is an interesting discussion to be had when it when it actually comes up i don't i'm not um, even arguing yeah. for spider-man killing i just i have to repeat that no I'm not no i'm saying he should kill the green goblin no i don't i don't think he I don't should think do he should either. something i think that would be yeah i don't <laughs> think that, that would be way anything. out of character yeah write that a would, letter that would be crazy. write an edit write a strongly worded letter to the view <laughs> yeah um so Next, we did Fantastic Four 110 and 116. And when 110 opens up on a shot of Reed Richards in the negative zone, <laughs> hurtling on a rock towards the, like, negative Earth, I was just like, one time was an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is like, you want this, Reed. This is what you want. Like, you have some yeah. kind of, you know, uh, you have some death wish here. That, like, that you, you are morbidly curious about what's going to happen when you hit that atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> why does yeah, this keep happening no. damn it's clearly how he wants to go um yeah so this this story is called one from four leaves three um <laughs> reads trapped in the title. negative zone uh annihilus is watching basically Ooh, you know, annihilus, the last issue i thought annihilus looked cool he, he didn't do much he was just kind of the threat of like if reed escapes annihilus will show up or annihilus will finish him he's off, really just watching with his hordes yeah he, he had a real like fantasia knight on bald mountain look here just like standing above him in silhouette with his wings it was pretty cool yeah yeah um this story is by stan lee john buscema joseph hmm. and yep. m stevens um yeah i mean basically the whole issue is it's a plot we've more or less seen before um with you know but it's got negative zone and annihilist this time and What's happening is Reed's trapped in space. The rest of Finesse 4 are trying to figure out how to get him back to the Baxter building. While they're doing that, Ben is having these really um, disturbing mood swings where he, he's got, he's been given a formula now, like an experiment where he can change back from to Ben and to the thing at will, mm -hmm. which is cool, you would think. But this is clearly having an impact on his like brain chemistry and his moods because mm -hmm. he's when he changes, he lashes out. And so when he's Ben Grimm as a human, he's like cruel and mean and he is like very petulant he's lashing it, out at sue and johnny so and later alicia big. it's disturbing it, it is but the like the level to like how nasty he gets is so incredible <laughs> that like it's pretty funny like uh sue funny. storm is talking you monster I mean, the, I, he is but it's like sue storm is talking to franklin and just like 
I don't know how I'm going to explain this to you, son. Like, your father is about to die. And uh, Ben Grimm is just standing by and he's like, his middle name's Ben, ain't it? We should probably start using it. <laughs> like, it's so, it's Very so callous, outlandish. Yeah. It, it is like one of the, the most like evil, callous, like personal attacks that we've seen in comics, period. Like how nasty he's being. I feel like Doctor Doom has never been this nasty <laughs> to them. So like Well, and I think he's yeah. voicing a lot of it's like even if even if it's the result of this medicine, he's voicing a lot of grievances that clearly have been rattling around in his brain. You know, yeah, sure. like they're issues just amped with up to eleven and dynamics yeah. and whatnot. Um and I I feel like they walk back from it fairly quickly, this being comics. Whereas if this was something that happened with a very close family member, like it's the sort of behavior that you would never come back from. I think in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, but, uh, uh, yeah, so hey Ben's kid, I'm jerk. your new dad now. Just uh, don't. While Reed Richards is actively dying, he's just telling Franklin, like, "Yeah, I'm your new dad. Deal with it." While they're watching Reed <laughs> die yet again. Um, but anyway, basically, the way that they get Reed out of the negative zone is they Ben does come around for a brief spurt of heroism. Um, to help the team launch the gizmo that'll launch Reed back into the Baxter building. Agatha Harkness makes a strong appearance. Yeah, she weird little comes like in hot and just starts doing all sorts of spells. So here's the thing, Agatha Harkness, <laughs> totally a witch. Let's let's not forget it goes, that. It goes from She's like also Franklin's babysitter. <laughs> she she goes from like, here, hold the baby to full on like calling demons from hell within half a page. <laughs> you know, like Yeah. She yeah, she you're right. She she comes in real hot. Her spells unleash some sort of forces all across New York City. Um, we get a shot of J. Jonah Jameson seeing this and like leaning out the window, yelling at the commie liberals, um, and <laughs> yep. then just telling Robbie <laughs> Robertson that he's sick of of superheroes doing really anything at all because it's so mm-hmm. disturbing. This is definitely the most uh, the most <clears throat> modern like I don't know like caricature conservative. I think Jonah gets where he's like literally yelling the phrase, those damn Ra- commie liberals. You he, know? he yells, those radical liberals. And Robbie's like, yeah. What are you going to blame them for the Ice Age, too? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but anyway, Agatha's spell, it creates like a vision of a gazillion reeds in the negative zone. This confuses Annihilus enough that Reed comes back to the Baxter building. And the day is saved, although I'm sure this will not be the last we'll see of Reed floating hurtling, on a meteor in the negative zone, his favorite pastime. <laughs> God, it's ridiculous. I was like, I was so into it, though, when he was on it. I just, I really want like that to be a thing. Like, Reed, this is the fifth time you have found yourself on this rock. We're not going to save you this time, okay? Like, if you want it that bad, yeah. like, fool me once, shame on you. Um, Yeah, so Fantastic Four, 116. Um... This one's a little bonkers. Uh, <laughs> this is the culmination of a few issues of buildup of this villain called Overmind. And he's part of this alien race called the Eternals, which I feel like you probably didn't underline because they're not the Eternals. Like, this group of the Eternals will never make an appearance again, and neither will Overmind. So or like, are they? No, they or won't. Or will they? No, they won't. <laughs> they won't. Or might they? <laughs> yeah. So I actually looked this up because he calls himself a member of the Eternals. Yep. And I looked this up. Apparently, there's like a history of this getting wrecked. So the the actual Eternals, Jack Kirby 1977 series, uh, six years from now, right? So it can't be those Eternals, or I don't think. Um, no. The, the, the Basically, the wiki for this, there's a bunch of retcons people have talked about, because Overmind has a few appearances here and there. Um, they've 
at times connected them to the actual Eternals, like a spacefaring version of them. And they've at times called them, they've tried to change their name to the Eternai and things like that. Anyway, long yeah. story short, don't really think of him. Don't as worry an about them. I don't think he really plays into I, their continuity. I don't think very much. I think they just kind of vanish in the seventies too. Like their last appearance is here in the seventies, so they're they're not a big like ongoing player. Neither is Overmind, really. Um, yeah. So Overmind is just like big, strong alien man with the power to overtake somebody's mind and kind of bend them to his will. And he has Reed Richards captured, and he is. Yeah, forcing Reed Richards to turn against the Fantastic Four and all of humanity, etc. The Fantastic Four are fighting him. They can't. They can't. Uh, they can't beat Overmind with Reed Richards helping out. Sue Storm decides to go get some help and can't find a single other superhero. They are all busy, and so decides that the only person that she knows, the only person she knows of who could. Uh, like, it's not about the person who's strong enough to fight Overmind. It's about the person who's like smart enough to bring the team together right like who who has enough stratagem as as a strategic mind to come up with a a battle plan for the fantastic four so she goes to dr doom and so dr doom comes in here and he's not eager to help the fantastic four because that is not particularly his mo but Mm -hmm. sue basically tells him like oh well i guess if you if you don't think you can do it or you know i I think she calls him like not smart enough she says like Oh, okay. I guess uh, you're just petty and petulant then. And he's like, "Huh, I've never been petty in my life." <laughs> and then it's a yeah, it's yeah, a good manipulation just, of yeah. of the Overlord <clears throat> and Doom. Then because he's been, I I don't know that he's even really that tricked, but you play on his ego, and he's going to go along for the ride. Yeah, um, he comes in and he decides that he's going to fight with Sue. They come up with a strategy to try to fight the Overmind, and basically, oop, they um they resuscitate Ben Grimm and Human Torch just by virtue of Doom showing up. He's like, and basically he's like, I knew if you saw me, you'd get up off your, you know, on your feet again because you'd want to beat me up, which is pretty smart. Yeah. Um, so Doom, Ben, Johnny, Sue, they all take one more shot at the Overmind, use all their strength. Reed, of course, is a pawn of the Overmind at this point, so he's attacking Sue. But for, you know, finally, Sue, I think, I think she mentions Franklin or something like that, and Reed's like, no, I can't hurt you, and it basically yeah. breaks his mind. Yeah, and, uh, overcoming and so the, luckily, the control. And and as you would think, with Doctor Doom coming in, they all combine their powers to defeat Overmind. No, wait, that doesn't happen. They get defeated by Overmind, and then a completely new character comes in and does it. Like it's so and then stupid. the stranger shows up out yeah, of nowhere. I, I read now, one stranger. I was very confused by this initially. I think the way the way they explain it in the comic is the Overmind. He summons so much power that it actually like registers on a cosmic scale and the stranger notices this and that's how he knows to come here the overmind has the power of a billion minds he says like he is harnessing and funneling all of the eternals Mm -hmm. minds into his power and then the stranger shows up and says hey i do the same thing but i have a billion billion minds and it's just the dumbest like dragon ball z my power level is 100 times higher than that and that's how I defeat now, you. You said dumbest. I think you meant coolest. Um, oh the, yeah, I'm the sorry. Problem, I, the problem I have the is they've done this before. It's really quite a ripoff of their own ideas. Like it, I think this is they're ripping off a few things here. One is like the hate monger because they're doing the whole over my makes everyone hate violence, mm-hmm. you know, overwhelming everyone. And then with Psycho the billion Man. billion minds, yeah. they've literally used that phrase with Mangog. With yeah, the I was power just th- billion, I just read the Mangog stuff Thor. from '68, and it's the same same tact. Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, Stranger 
takes out Overmind. Uh, Fantastic Four. I mean, they lose, but they win because the Stranger shows up and saves Which just basically means they could have left, right? <laughs> that point where Sue Storm went and got Doctor Doom, she could have just taken the boys, left, hid out for half an hour, and then things would have played out the same way. Yeah, I do like this use of Doom, though. It's the reason <clears throat> I include the issue. Him coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, that's like, fun. Sort of leading. Anytime he's partnered with or leading the Fantastic Four, it tends to be very interesting or fun. In this instance, he just kind of walks away from the end of it. Like, well, all right, the threat's over, and you know we're still enemies. I'll take you down later type thing. And yeah. it, it, he doesn't say it here, but there's definitely a part to Doom where he's like, if it can't be me who's taking you down, I'm not very into it. You know, So mm-hmm. I think that's part of his motivation here as well yeah this is like a fun idea i wish they'd spent more time playing around with it right like they don't give it enough yeah they could don't give enough space to like the conversations that they would have had with dr doom right especially at the end i really wish like they had had reed and dr doom have some kind of you know confrontation over this not a fight but like a conversation (laughs) and and even like this page was or this issue was i think extra long i think this might have been a 30 pager and it still kind of felt like they didn't give enough enough time to the stuff that would have been interesting yeah um uh marvel feature number one which is what we read next also kind of a long issue and uh this is the introduction of the defenders yeah this is the day of the defenders we've got roy thomas ross andrew it's not a name we've seen before i don't think Uh, artist he's gonna have a long run on spider-man actually throughout the 70s oh Uh, really i I liked him still bringing back the old yes ross andrew yeah he did he's good i think for a lot of people he's like He's like kind of their Spider-Man guy, definitely. If you're he had like he has got a really era. like sketchy style, right? Like you can kind of see the drawings. He, it's not super clean, but um, mm-hmm. but I liked it. I thought it worked. Yeah, and uh, Sam Rosen letters here. So the main the main plot of this first Defenders idea, which is really here, really just an idea. Um, you have Doctor Strange is throughout the issue. He recruits the Hulk and Namor. He spends a brief moment considering recruiting Silver Surfer, who is flying into the barrier. Galactus is put around Earth repeatedly. Um, he flies into it so <laughs> hard, like I a... believe he crashes and knocks himself unconscious. So Surfer is not to be a part of the Defenders here. He's just a moth in a lantern, <laughs> you know, or a light bulb, yeah. just banging himself against yeah. it. Um, but he gets Namor and Hulk, and he gets them in order to stop a threat of nuclear Armageddon. There's a previous Doctor Strange villain here, Yandroth, uh, who is... Um, He's on his deathbed. An bed, idiot. And he tells I mean, what? Yandroth, Yandroth's plan. Oh, sorry. Go, go on with his plan. It's the dumbest. Like, the, the ultimate, the fruition of his plans is so incredibly stupid that, yeah, I can't, let's get to it. Well, he tells Doctor Strange's astral form that, you know, he's about to die. But when he dies, essentially, there will be nuclear Armageddon. What do you, what do you think is so, so dumb about that? He, so he's like, once I die, it will trigger a machine that will blow up all the atomic stockpiles all over Earth, and it'll blow up five hours after my death. Doctor Strange mm-hmm. tries to save him, but he dies. He he gets the Hulk, and he gets Namor together. They go to Maine, which I, I appreciated as a Mainer, um, even though the town that they came up with is not a real town, point prospect. Um, and they go, like, they burst into, what's this, Yondroth's base, right mm-hmm. and so Nam- namor is attacking it from the sea it's like out on the coast namor's coming at it from the sea hulking hulk is attacking it head on and dr strange like astral projects into the building itself and there he finds the computer that says like haha you fell for my plan the the plan was that when namor and hulk come in they're both gonna punch this computer at the same time which will right. like give it the power to activate 
and uh and that's how like without you bringing the hulk and namor here this wouldn't have worked which is so ridiculous like why not just have it have it on a timer why do you need like two people to punch it from opposite directions at the same time it's so dumb also the most cool to say you called it that's a cool move (laughs) yeah but also how could he have called that like he was gonna enlist namor like or the exactly it's mind-blowing all right. Just, if I was Doc Strange, I'd be like, you don't oh, just have to go what? along with How everything. Do you know? <laughs> it's so bad, Dave. Come on. It's great. I, I thought that I actually was like, I was pre- even just despite that, I thought this was pretty fun. But that that is so ridiculous. Like, uh, my my computer is going to sit dormant until two superhumans punch it at the same time. Yeah, yeah, pretty clever plan. Um, obviously, Strange, Namor, Hulk. So the thing I like about the Defenders and mm-hmm. the thing that does come through in this first appearance yeah. is they're they're horrible together. Oh, they're <laughs> they a weird team. So badly together. They're a strange team. Um, they don't want to be a team. They don't call themselves a team. Hulk has a quote in here. It says, I was an Avenger once. Didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I like really that. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, like none of them want to be together. They don't want to do stuff together. It's always reluctant anytime Doctor Strange comes calling. Um, yeah. I do like that dynamic because then oh, they it, still do the thing. You know, they still yeah, it's good. take it's out fun. whatever they need to just badly. But it always and, works and at the end a, of the day. They're just such a weird pairing of of people. That, like, it kind of mm-hmm. works, right? Because they kind of have that, like, they, they don't have a group cohesion. It's like, why are these three guys working together? But, and they all have very different power sets. I guess Namor and Hulk are just strong. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was very fun. I, I was excited to, like, see where this goes and see how these these three play out. Yeah, I think Defenders is one that we'll be exploring a bit more throughout the 70s um, in various iterations. I think it's going to be a few years before they really lean into this just being a weirder version of the Avengers, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's going to take, it's going to initially kind of feel like, okay, it's kind of, kind of Avengers ish, but with different characters, Avengers too. then, yeah. But then eventually it'll be like, no, this, these guys are, they don't really want to be a team. They should deal with weirder stuff and uh, we'll be heading that direction. So I'm excited to get there, but yeah, that's going to do it for part one of 1971. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's, yeah, there's a little story part two at the end up. here. There's a little story yeah, that Doctor I like. Strange is back. Yeah. Well, what, what, uh, I what do you want to say about it? Well, I just liked it because it, it was Doctor Strange walking into his house and finding that weird, like, luchador costume Doctor Strange. And then mm. them both accusing each other of being the phony, fighting. And then when he peels the mask off of the uh, the the masked Doctor Strange, it was really Baron Mordo. Which I, I liked because I hated that costume. So I felt, like, very vindicated in my hatred that, like, oh, yeah, it was the villain all along. I knew I knew there was a reason. It, did, like it did feel like a, a retcon of that costume where they were like, yeah. hey, if you didn't like this, um, actually, it was Baron Morgan. Exactly. So, yeah, I good. know. I, I appreciated yeah. that. Yeah, so that's going to do it for 1971. Sorry, I'm taking your thunder now. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, again, please uh, rate and review on iTunes. Hop over to my marvelous here at patreon.com, and uh, I'll be keeping track of how many people do that and if we uh like i said if we hit 25 we'll uh we'll put out a bonus episode where we read something that we hate and talk about it uh i think that could be fun can't Doing wait a, kind of a bad comics podcast yeah i'm excited about it dave i like complaining about stuff i don't know <laughs> everyone listening is like yeah we know <laughs> yeah i know no i know i'm I've got, i'm getting the They're reputation drunk as skunks the... taking shots every time <laughs> oh that's an idea we'll do it okay i'm ready to commit right now but if we hit 50, we do it drunk. <laughs> if we do, if we hit 50, what? Uh, it, reviews? Same thing. Like, 
Reviews, new patrons, or upgrading patrons. If we hit 50 reviews, we'll drink <laughs> I'll read take, a horrible I'll, Marvel comic. I'll take... Well, no, not while we're reading it. While we record. It's not... <laughs> no, we're so going to record tell... us drinking and reading. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So... And then Please we'll do talk this about it so after, that you can, but we'll turn you can off the listen mics. to us drink and silently read a comic. That's the whole episode, right? Yeah. No, I I will. No, you only I'll get take, the best exclusives here on a my I will, I will take three shots before we record, which is that is that is a lot for me. That is a lot. That's a lot <laughs> so, of shots. Have you ever had Malort? Had what? Malort? It's no, I don't know what that thing. is. Uh. Uh-uh. All right, I'm gonna send you a bottle of Malort. Okay. okay, this this just got real. If if we hit, <laughs> we should make it higher if we're going to do Malort. Or we might need, we'll talk about this. Can <laughs> I, I not get Malort on the East Coast? Uh, I, I would hope not. I mean, you could just <laughs> no, go to a gas station and pour that into your mouth. That would have the same effect. Um. Okay, anyway. Oh, I, I just Googled Malort, and the first thing is, uh, different countries try Malort, the worst liquor ever. <laughs> <laughs> Things you didn't know about Malort, Chicago's bad tasting liquor. <laughs> that's no. that's the one. <sighs> I so here's the here's the new spin-off show name, Malort and Marvel, and then we do a different horrible Marvel comic while drinking Malort, and we just feel <sighs> So if, if that's something you want for us, um yeah, rate and review on iTunes. Music for My Marvelous Year is by Disaster Piece. You can check out more Disaster Pieces music on Bandcamp, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your music. And uh, yeah, you can find more of my work on comicbookherald.com. You can find all the reading lists there as well. If you go to mymarvelousyear.com, it'll take you there directly. Otherwise, like we said, you can get the most updated lists uh, in the show notes, uh, in the weekly Patreon updates, um, or in the Comic Book Herald email newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, poll. Don't forget the poll. Did we? Oh, the poll for this year for 1971 is going to be: What is the coolest locale in the Marvel universe? The choices: Savage Land, Wakanda, Latveria, Negative Zone, Atlantis, Adalon, Asgard, and Olympus. Not, not Olympus. I'm not. I read <laughs> that the just polls. makes me laugh. Not, <laughs> I don't know why Definite that's so funny. People right in Olympus. If it's not there. Give it a vote. Uh, yeah, so that's our poll for this year. Otherwise, yep. any other updates? <clears throat> nope, nope, that's it, I think. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next year. See you next year. Yeah.